Unmakers. I'm Tim Burrows from Unmade. Welcome to The Unmakers, a series in which I talk to people who are trying to remake the media and marketing world. Each episode, I talk to people who are doing business differently. We're going to meet the startups, the troublemakers and the dreamers who've looked at the communications industry and are trying to find a better way. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. In today's episode of The Unmakers, I talk to Tony Simmons, founder of what looks set to be a major player in the monetization of digital audio, Sonant. Based here in Australia, Sonant uses AI to unlock the data behind every piece of audio to turn it into advertising assets. Behind the scenes, Sonant is already being used by most of Australia's audio companies, and now it's turning its eyes towards the US. Tony is a commercial lawyer by background rather than an audio guy. I began by asking him how he got to this point. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. I have got a bit of a mixed background. Um, you know, I started off as a corporate lawyer uh, during the dot-com boom and then uh, moved out of that a couple of days before my 30th birthday. Couldn't see my uh, or saw my life flash in front of me if I stayed as a lawyer. So I left that and I was working in telecommunications. So uh, made sense to stick in that industry and I created a, a big data platform for telecommunications Long story short, that probably started the entrepreneurial journey and after doing something in telco and then something in tourism, a little bit of investing. Um, my next project was to just to start my own podcast a couple of years ago. I think it was becoming pretty fashionable and maybe I was ahead of the curve, maybe I was right on it. Um, but as soon as I started doing it, because I had done some radio at school for years, I'd done radio at university, so I loved the medium but I had never done any of the post-production and I started doing that and then we got a sponsor and I had to report back to them and I quickly realised, wow, my Sunday is being chewed up with editing and clipping and finding the best bits and uh, it just occurred to me coming from a bit of a tech background, maybe tech had advanced to a point where we could start to automate some of these analogue editing features and functions and that was how I landed here. We started uh, building out Sonnet. And the interesting thing is, I mean, this is 2020. So, I mean, yes, I know we've been talking about AI for years, but the moment when it kind of exploded into everyone's consciousness, well, I suppose, was, you know, maybe sort of last November or so. So you were bits ahead of that. So I suppose, you know, the the buzz phrase at the point at which you were starting Sonnet wasn't really generative AI. No, definitely not. In fact, I think at the time we were starting it, a lot of the pushback around AI was fear-driven. People thought it was really going to be a, a disruptor and um, couldn't do things nearly as well as humans could. And I think what uh, November last year and ChatGPT taught everyone is that it's a very powerful tool that's not necessarily going to replace humans at all we're going to empower them to do things more efficiently and effectively possibly get rid of some of the low value tasks so yeah we were doing ai um, before it was sexy um, maybe we weren't doing podcasts before they were sexy but we were right ahead of the 
the curve in terms of blending the two together. Well, let's dive in and talk about what it is that Sonnen does. So Sonnen turns spoken word content into data. So data looks like a number of different things, but you've got transcription, which is consists of many words. Behind every word, there's energy, there's sentiment, there's how long you pause for, there's volume, there's gap between previous word, gap between the next word. If you look at human communication and try to turn that into data, that is a massive exercise. But in order to automate things effectively and replicate human endeavour, data is the building blocks to be able to do that from a technology point of view. So the starting point for us was understand what data points are there and then what data points are going to be relevant to automate manual work and increase the lifeblood of this industry, impressions and advertising dollars. So that was sort of the thought process. This is going back three years and, you know, even transcription back then was not at the point of accuracy. It is now far from it. But we kind of thought that's going to be a commodity. Let's assume that everyone can get transcripts at no cost. What are the next things we need to be able to do with data? And then you start to get into more complex things like contextualizing conversation and what the industry calls natural language processing. So that was some of the first modules we built. And now we're at a point where across our customer base, we are automating a lot of workflows and reducing costs, increasing accuracy, consistency and speed, and then looking at how advertising can help be contextualised so that when you're listening to something about motor racing, you're not getting an ad for, uh, you know, green thumb type activities. It's a bit jarring. So using the contextualization to automate what they call programmatic advertising. Now, that's really interesting. I think particularly, you know, you've sort of alluded to that sort of, I guess, the, the, the table stakes of transcribing. Um, and I suppose the thing is we, we, we all end up with quite fixed ideas of the quality of what comes out. You know, I, I, I suppose when I think about, you know, my kind of, sort of being in the business of, of of paying for transcription, I'll almost work on the assumption that if something's automated, it will still be not quite good enough that you still need a human to check it off. Um, or, you know, I, I, you know, when I really needed it, I would just sort of use, you know, Rev was the transcribing service I would use, but pay the human version where you're, yeah. you know, you're paying a dollar a minute or whatever and an actual human's doing it. Are we now at the point where you can confidently probably not even need to check it or are we not quite there yet? That is a question that really depends on the individual. So uh, there, there is a trade-off. You're never going to get 100% accuracy. You know, we've worked um, with some customers in America that have a very urban flavour for their content. A um, lot of acronyms a lot of slang, a lot of jargon, there's no way that a transcription engine can pick that up accurately. So some producers will say the trade-off is we're going to be able to use that to power advertising and it's going to increase our revenue. We'll take a few errors. Others who are more creative-led will say, no, we, we're seeking perfection in how we go to market and so that's not going to be 
for them. What we've done is tried to find a middle ground and say, listen, if you are using terms of art or particular nouns or acronyms, we've built a vocab engine into Sonnet and it immediately trains it just on typing in the word. It gives a phonetic sort of breakdown and you say, you know, that sounds like this and it will repeat that to the transcription engine in the background until it's confident that every time it hears that word, it's going to say, yep, I understand that, I can transcribe it accurately. And again, huge improvement, not fail-safe. But in terms of um, Sonnen, I mean, that's the, the transcription is just the beginning anyway. Let's maybe just drill a bit more into kind of the actual use cases. Now, you work with a lot of the audio companies, in certainly in Australia. How are they using it? Yeah, look, there's probably um, three or four different business units that see, get huge benefit from the data that's created. So if we look at the um, the ad operations team, where am I going to put my ads in and what kind of ads are we going to put a particular point in this content? There's huge benefit there because quite a lot of these audio companies are producing multiple radio shows every morning across the nation. They're licensing in huge libraries of content from other audio providers across the world. Um, What you want to be able to do is make sure you have the best ad load, so serve as many ads as you can without annoying your audience and having them turn off. And when you serve those ads, make sure you've got the best advertiser in those places so you get a premium yield, great contextual alignment. It's good for the brand, it's good for the audience member, um, and it's good for revenue. So that's one use case, getting what we call smart ad markers in the right place for the right type of brand. The second one is your marketing, and probably everyone's seen ChatGPT, how it can create web pages and summarise content and create blogs. So being able to turn one long-form piece of content into all your tweets and all your YouTube shorts and Instagram posts, that is a no-brainer as far as uh, producing long-form content and then pulling out the relevant hashtags, putting your headline in. This can all be done through you know, incredible automation, probably not discernible from humans, Um, can do it at scale, can do it 24 by 7 across multiple platforms. And if you're increasing subscribers, increasing virality, getting more people looking at the long-form content, then you're increasing your advertising dollars as well. So that's the second use case. And and, and let's stick with that use case. Let's ask a follow-up question on that one for a moment then. So to, to to ask a very meta example then, if we were looking to create more content from this conversation now that we have this recording what would sonnet do with this conversation you know where 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 would we find it would we find visual elements you know what what would it be able to deliver so no computer vision we're primarily working off natural language processing and some of those uh, spoken word characteristics i mentioned earlier so to give you an example the, the system would understand who the host is and who the guest is. It would understand what's a question. It would understand what's an answer. It would understand a change of topic. It would look for natural gaps. It looks for, you know, a hyperbole or amazing or that's incredible. Um, it looks for changes in energy, changes in words per minute. And it's trained on hundreds of thousands of examples of clips and teasers and stingers and promos 
to say, okay, we understand or the system understands this cascading level of uh, energy across the across the content and can therefore identify your best bits time and time again. So it would actually identify this is probably the best clip. This would hopefully pick up this little explainer, give it a headline, says, uh, you know, clipping explained, uh, pull out the hashtags and call it, um, you know, uh, audiograms or audio clipping, Uh, probably give you a little bit of buffer on either side and um, it would clip it up ready to go. And for people outside of the audio industry, it may be just worth explaining what an audiogram is. So basically it's a it's a snippet or a clip with pure audio. You probably overlay a little graphic or a waveform that moves as you talk, sort of like a graphic equaliser visualisation, um, and then you, you post those on social channels. So it's giving it a, a visual feel to something that doesn't have a visual element naturally. And Sonnet does that little part as well, the visual element too? No, we don't do the graphics bit. We're really focused on the underlying uh, finding the best bits and then, you know, have integrations with various platforms where you'll do the last bit of polish and put in your own graphics. Understood. And then you're about to turn to a third use case. So it's really uh, transparency of customer mentions, air checking as the industry calls it or mention reporting. So when a you know a brand decides to sponsor a show or... Uh, pay to be an advertiser, they're going to be mentioned across um, a range of different inventory and the ability to clip that all up for the advertiser and say, hey, today, uh, Amazon, you were mentioned 22 times across these shows, click through and you can listen to that mention yourself. So now you're building a really good relationship with the customer, giving them transparency of where their advertising dollar is going, showing that they're actually getting all of the mentions delivered across the inventory um, and showing that it's got a nice contextual fit. So that helps keep marketing officers uh, very happy and hopefully spending more across the audio medium. And is this a tool then that could be used either by media monitoring services or by, for instance, marketing teams who are trying to monitor their own brand? Absolutely, yeah. We have uh, democratised your own media monitors set and you can, um, you know, we have some customers that do listen to their competitors and try and understand what uh, advertisers are going on there. And look, you know, dare I say it, um, it can inform the creative. If there's, you know, a particular advertiser you want to get into the suite, then it might be as simple as changing uh, the way you talk about a particular industry um and you know there's obviously some some rules around that but informing the creative in a way that really helps the content sing for brands and and marketers and uh i suppose as we've talked about different use cases that that also implies and this is maybe where we'll talk a a bit about sort of son as a business as well um it also kind of implies different different charging models um how how do you actually ask people to pay for the service so at the moment we charge per hour of content that gets put through the system once it's in the system they can create as many clips snippets um, you know slice and dice that data as much as they they want uh, we've started to move into selling the data as data to different programmatic advertisers and ad networks because there's huge value in them understanding what is being talked about 
what advertisers to approach, how to show them that they've got a good opportunity to put their brand on this content. That actually dovetails nicely into the fourth use case, which is using the advertising, the data for advertising sales um, and really being able to show, okay, this data, when it's indexed, when it's ordered, it shows you what you're talking about, what brand categories, shows you the sentiment, can draw links between different shows and really help the sales team go out and find the best advertisers for content that's relevant. And I'll give you one uh, quick example. Like a couple of months ago, the Met Gala was the big thing happening in the USA. Um, You could see all of this discussion start to percolate a couple of weeks out from the Met Gala. You can see the first bits of it starting to happen. Oh, Met Gala is a trending term. And then it starts to increase in in uh, its cadence, and there comes a point where the advertising team get notified of this new trending topic, and they're able to go, "Wow, what's the industry for the Met Gala? It's fashion, it's design, it's clothing. Let's go out to our people who we're trying to get as customers and say, you need to be on these shows. There's great chatter happening about the Met Gala. Who's wearing who?" time for you to spend some money and get in on this conversation. It worked a treat. And that's the sort of future of using this data for sales. Who, um, if anyone, are you in competition with, either in Australia or the rest of the world? Look, there's a a company um, owned by iHeartMedia, which is the big sort of behemoth, big mothership of audio globally, uh, called Sounder. And they started off as a hosting platform. But, I've, you know, Cal, who's the CEO of Sounder, and I have had a couple of different chats. We're both sort of tech outsiders to the audio industry, and we have a similar sort of way of viewing the industry as needing to datafy, if, if that's a word. Um, and so our platforms are similarly themed. They have a big focus on purely brand safety and suitability, and we've got a, a wider focus of uh, a more programmatic ecosystem. But they'd be the biggest one. And are you making progress outside of the Australian market as well? We are. We have a guy working for us who's in Denver for podcast movement at the moment, um, Scott, and he's based out of Dallas. So we've got a bunch of North American clients. We just picked up another uh, one the other last week. And um, North America is a huge market, so we're looking to grow there. We've got... Um, Obviously, as you said off the top, some good customers in Australia. We also have a handful of customers in the United Kingdom as well. So currently just English-speaking language only, but built the system to move into uh, other jurisdictions later. And let's talk about the, the, the business a little bit itself. Um, so you've have you so far sort of bootstrapped yourself to get to this point? Have you needed to take any external investment? It's been bootstrapped. It's been a, um, a fairly organic kind of journey to date. Um, in fact, we're just in the process of looking at uh, a round of investment at the moment. And um, that'll be our first major sort of round because as a, I suppose, hate, I hate the term, but a serial entrepreneur, I suppose, for, for lack of a better term, I like to get companies to a point where we understand the personas and what the real return on investment will be for a customer. So you can actually show it to them and prove that this is not just a fanciful kind of endeavour. This is something where rubber truly hits the road and can impact their business. 
So to get to that point when you start with the tech and a vision that's a little ahead of the curve, gives you that opportunity to build some really good tech and then you're kind of waiting for the market to catch up. You don't want to be too far ahead of the curve because you run out of money and I think, you know, the last couple of months we've started to say that vision and technology is intersecting with market need and money and so uh, we have bootstrapped to date but now we feel confident putting on someone in America that they can sell the the, uh, the product um, themselves without me being involved and really scale the business. And this sort of round of investment, um, I mean, it sounds like you sort of already de-risked it to the point that I'm not sure you could even call it a seed round. What what, what are you actually calling it? Oh, look, we probably are calling it a seed round. I mean, we've got, we've got good revenue, but it's not, um, you know, it's not at the millions of dollar mark. So we're probably not at a put money in and we know how to scale every piece, um, you know, exponentially. So there's still a bit of fact finding in what we're doing, but we certainly have made a number of the pieces connect and we can see, again, what these personas are, what the four go-to-market use cases are. We can determine their return on investment for a client in advance and we can see all of these discussions accelerating rapidly. So it's probably still a seed round, although some might say it's a seed bridge into A. And um, what level um, of investment are you actually looking to raise for this round, roughly? Oh, look, we, we really want to be able to bring on, you know, five to six staff across the sales spectrum, the customer support, build out some more tech. Um, we've started to dabble with generative AI because customers can put their whole uh, inventory onto Sonnet and we can find the best bits of shows and create new podcasts with, you know, we were looking at the best interviews of the old rock Bands. So Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, put all those best bits together, put in the music, all of a sudden you've got a new podcast series without having to pay talent anything and you're leveraging your archive. So a bit more generative stuff and I think, you know, putting six people to give us two years to really grow our revenues, uh, I'll let the audience reverse engineer what they think we need. I'm, 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 I guess when I was doing the maths, I was assuming what we're talking is in the low millions. Yeah, I'd, look, I think you've still got to understand what the market will bear. Um, finding the right investor as well. Some investors, as you probably know, will want to see, you know, this cadence of revenue and growth. Others understand the vision and back the entrepreneur. So, you know, we definitely want to be in the low millions, but what the ceiling is, we're, we're not entirely um, sure and we're not sort of putting a full stop on it. And have you set a valuation yet? No, no. We're again, we are more in the process of filtering for the right investor, someone who understands what we're trying to do and how big that market is. In fact, I don't think anyone disagrees that if we get it even half right, it's a big market to attack. Um, so we're more in the filtering phase. And if we find, uh, you know, what I would have called in the legal days a consensus ad idem, a meeting of minds, we'll. Um, you know, we'll come to valuation discussion down the track. So it sounds like the ideal, and I noticed you said investor in the singular a couple of times, the ideal is presumably somebody who can actually, is already in some way in the space then, I presume, who can kind of add some value rather than just the dollars. And it may not be a traditional VC type. It might be like a corporate incubation. It might be, as you say, someone from the industry, whether that be advertising or audio, um, who says, yes, this is this is excellent. 
And I think from our point of view, what also makes sense is to work with someone who can not only be an investor, but has a good network that could potentially help us open up new clients or new opportunities. So um, strategic capital is always what every entrepreneur says they want. Um, and I did a podcast with someone who resonates with me. He said, so everyone says they want smart money, but smart money is often just any money. So, you know, we'll cross those bridges as we come to them. And I suppose the other thing is if someone comes in and they're, for instance, already aligned with one of the audio groups, then potentially it closes the door on other audio groups as as potential clients, or at least that's a that that's a risk involved in in, in aligning with someone. Yeah, definitely on the publisher side, I think that's right. On the advertiser side, you know, you know, if it was one of these big media groups like a Dentsu or a Publicis, then maybe that locks out advertisers as well. But then again, one of those big ones reach is so massive that it probably touches most of the major brands anyway. So again, we're, you know, we're early on in this, uh, in this journey, we'll sort of knock on a few doors and see how we're received. And then, um, you know, go through those discussions and obviously build out the, the risk profile of certain investors as well. And for you personally, as CEO, you, you know, as you say, you're, and I, 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 I agree with you. I shudder slightly at the phrase serial entrepreneur as well. But, um, but you, you, you know, you, you've had a number of successful exits. Is, is there a point at which you see yourself handing over the CEO role to CEO role to somebody else and moving on, or do you think you have some time yet with Sonnen um, uh, as a full time exec with the business? Yeah, if you if you'd have asked me that. 12 months ago, I would have said, yes, I could see myself handing this over. But where we are now, I, I can't see me wanting to hand this over at all unless it was, you know, on a proper liquidity event where someone else decided they wanted it holus bolus. Um, but I think the market's so huge. I'm learning so much, meeting so many people, trying to piece the puzzle together and build the plane as we're flying it is you know the greatest challenge of business you could have uh just loving it too much and growing in the u.s you know I'm, i do love my music so i always think of the old bands in excess and cold chisel you know trying to break it in america was always the big thing for aussie bands and i think aussie businesses have that um that, that sort of vision that they want to be able to achieve that so we've started we've got our beachheads in the u.s Definitely want to grow in North America. So I think I've got a good couple of years left at the helm. And uh, could, could you contemplate yourself actually being based in the US? Is, is that something you would need to do to take it to its kind of logical conclusion? Yeah, look, I think most definitely need to spend a lot of time there. No, no doubt about it. I think the uh, likelihood is I'd fly in and fly out, do a couple of weeks on the ground, come back, and then go back as needed because not only do we have US customers, we do want to grow in um, the United Kingdom and make sure we look after our Australian base as well. Hey, look, it is, um, it's uh, going to be a fascinating business to watch it on the journey. Now, um, a last question that uh, we ask all of our guests on the podcast, what would your critics say about you and what would your supporters say about you? I think my critics would say I'm a, I'm a non-conformist. I think my supporters would say I'm a non-conformist. <laughs> That's a good way of finishing. Tony, thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to be a guest. 
Today's podcast was produced by Sajer Al-Zaidi and edited by Abe's Audio. If you're involved in a new venture in the media and marketing space, we'd love to talk to you here on The Unmakers. Please email Sejah, that's S-E-J-A, at unmade.media. I'll be back with more soon. Toodle pip. The Unmakers. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.